You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. The Station Agent, which came out in 2003 and was directed by Tom McCarthy. It stars Peter Dinklage, Patricia Clarkson, Bobby Cannavale, Michelle Williams, Raven Goodwin, Josh Pies, John Slattery, Paul Benjamin, and Richard Kind. The genre would be friendship dramedy. He's starting a new life. She's leaving hers behind. And he doesn't have a life. You come up here and talk. It sucks. The movie that swept Sundance is now the hit that has top critics raving. Four stars. Hilarious, says the New York Times. Really? Smart and truly original. You have a nice chin. It's magnificent. Thanks. And Roger Ebert raves it's a treasure. Two thumbs up. My hero dog. The station agent. Even though this film has garnered a bit of a devoted following since first coming out 20 years ago, it's a pretty strong acclaim too, I was late to the party, as I just saw this for the first time just a couple of years ago. And having now seen it, well, it's quiet and funny and touching, and I really dug it. Sometimes one gets tired of referring to so many different things in a positive way as, quote, charming, as I'm guilty of doing, because it's just such a catch-all phrase. But charming... That's just the best way to describe this movie. It's a simple character piece, which is mainly about dealing with loneliness. And it was also the directorial debut of Tom McCarthy, no less. You might remember him as the man who helmed The Visitor, Win-Win, the well-deserved Best Picture-winning Spotlight, love that movie, The Cobbler with Adam Sandler, and some silly Disney Plus kiddie comedy that came out two years ago called Timmy Failure. (laughs) It's a strange filmography, to say the least. And I still have to catch The Visitor. But having now seen three of his most acclaimed films, I quite like what I see. His films are generally tightly paced, yet feel very deliberate at times. He allows his characters to just be, but not in some Terrence Malick sort of way where just kind of watching them stare at nature for 10 minutes. Nope. In this film, our main protagonist, artfully played by Peter Dinklage, generally prefers to stare at trains and read about them and fix them up. And he ends up living at a small abandoned train station in New Jersey, which he just inherited from his recently deceased best friend, whom he worked for at a model train shop. The Dink plays Finn, who is a pretty quiet man who generally keeps to himself. In fact, he mostly isolates himself from others. As a little person, he is tired of folks generally staring at him throughout his life, or worse, acting inappropriately by laughing at him or even taking pictures of him. So Finn has just decided to avoid people. Let me ask you a question, Finn. Do people have clubs? What do you mean? Well, like a train of the month club. Yeah, there are clubs. What do you guys do? Well, uh, they get together and they look at old photographs and sometimes they watch a movie. Watch a movie? That's cool. Uh, what, what kind of movies? Well, there are people called train chasers. They follow a train and they film it. Are you a train chaser? No. How come? I don't know how to drive a car. And I don't own a camera. That do it. But as you would expect, though, there are a few folks in this new town whom he keeps running into. They include a very gregarious New York City transplant, Joe, running a hot dog stand right outside of his station, played by Bobby Cannavale, and a reclusive artist, Olivia, who recently lost her young son, played by Patricia Clarkson. And all three of them become friends, of course. 
Hey, Olivia. You got a garlic press? No. How can you not have a garlic press? Still no. All right, I'm going to go. You keep talking. I'm going to go cook without the garlic press. I'm not used to having people in my house, especially loud people. It's a nice house. I moved out here and got away. Where did you used to live? Princeton. I know. I didn't get very far. I just couldn't stay there another minute. Everyone looking at me, the poor woman whose son died. How about you? What made you pick Newfoundland? I wanted to live near Joe. <laughs> you guys, can you come up here and talk? Seriously, this sucks. <laughs> And if that sounds like a typically quirky setup for your standard low-budget indie dramedy released during or near the 90s, well, it is. But that doesn't make it any less enjoyable. Both Clarkson and Cannavale are excellent, too, with much of the humor coming from Cannavale's joyous attitude about everything (laughs) and how the other two are quite tickled by it all. Are you hungry? No. Thirsty? No. You don't really say much, do you? It's not. It's not. Hey, hold on. Olivia! Hey! Oh. Hey, you missed a great day of train watching. Oh. Maybe next time. Wait, hey, Olivia! Yeah. Can you give us a ride home? My feet are killing me. Not much actually happens throughout the 90-minute runtime, with the exception of one incident involving Clarkson's artist. There's also a friendship that Finn develops with a young schoolgirl named Cleo, played by the winning Raven Goodwin, a little girl who also becomes fascinated with trains. And there's also a delicately handled romantic subplot involving a librarian, played by Michelle Williams, who apparently has the hots for Finn. Overall, I just found this so engaging and even a bit life-affirming, with a simple message of how everybody needs someone, even just a friend to stare at trains with. I like to read when I eat. You can't read in the lounge? Talk to me. Not if you don't want me to. But I promise, I'll read too. I got a book in here. There. I'll read too. This isn't so bad, right? Right. You're reading about trains? Yeah. What you should do, man, you should get a job on the railroad. You said you weren't going to talk to me if I sat here, Joe. I haven't said anything in like 20 minutes. Nine. You timed me? Mm-hmm. It's cold, bro. And this brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. The station agent has a relatively low-key score, mainly driven by guitar and the occasional strings. It's pretty typical for a smaller character-based indie drama, which does not make it any less effective. It's done by composer Stephen Trask, who seemed to be much more prolific in the early 2000s than he is now. And he created music for a surprising variety of films, big and small. Several that I have very fond memories of regarding their music, including In Good Company and A Single Man. And even though he's been doing less composing in recent years, he does seem to have very good taste in the projects that he chooses. Two of his most recent scores were for The Nice Guys and Tick, Tick, Boom. And I love both of those movies. In the case of this movie, the score does occasionally go for a more quirky sound with the usage of harmonicas and theremins. 
Now, I don't pretend to be any type of expert when it comes to the history of musical instrumentation, but theremins, they hold a special place for me. They aren't used that frequently and are apparently one of the hardest instruments to play well. The theremin is basically a box with strings and reeds that, when you play it right, can create very otherworldly sounds. And it was the forerunner for the modern synthesizer. And during a fun scene in the second half of this movie, we are treated to the dulcet tones of a theremin as we watch our three main characters going for a walk on the train tracks. to a bridge over a nearby river where they all sit to have a pseudo picnic. And I say pseudo because, well, they really don't have any food, except for some beef jerky brought by Finn. It's a lovely scene with just the right dose of humor, as predictably Joe seems to really respond to the beef jerky. The track is called Walking the Right of Way. I'm starving. Want some beef jerky? Yeah, absolutely. Had it all Fucking delicious. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, the station agent came out during the near peak of the indie boom, which really kicked off about 10 years prior in the early 90s. It was a Miramax film, and of course, Miramax were the kings of smaller dramas like this. You also had lots of other smaller studios popping up around this time, like Lionsgate and Artisan, along with mini majors like Paramount Vantage, Fox Searchlight, and Sony Classics, which were indie offshoots of major studios. And one benefit of having all these specialty labels in the marketplace is that most, not all, mind you, but most, most of them knew how to roll out a movie like this carefully via platform release. You know, first put it out in a few major cities like New York and or L.A., and then roll it out to other large markets, and eventually around the country to theaters which would play smaller films like this. I mean, it's not as if this was a huge hit, but it was profitable and released with care. This film would eventually play in more than 200 theaters around the country, and it ended up grossing just under $6 million on a $500,000 budget. So it was very profitable. Bottom line, this was a great time for a movie like this to actually get a full-on theatrical release. So, sadly... You probably know where this is going. Honestly, besides A24, Focus, and Neon, this particular type of film is just no longer being released into theaters as much nowadays. Nor is it being released with even the same care. If this film was being developed today, you can be almost 100% certain that it would go right to streaming. Or it would be given a very short-term release strategy right before going to VOD, Video On Demand. And this is just unfortunate. The overall theatrical model today is just in such a state of flux right now post-COVID, and with streaming playing a big part, it's hard to know what the answer is for smaller movies like this. I just hope that that changes, and that eventually solutions do present themselves, because we really want to see more movies like this in theaters. No doubt. 
Which brings me to the next category, the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. With this being such a laid-back story with virtually no plot, nor much dramatic which occurs, it's actually a bit trickier to nail down one particular moment which stands out. I mean, honestly, from an emotional standpoint, the movie is pretty much on an even keel for almost all of its runtime. With the exception of a couple of tense moments involving Finn at bars, one angry outburst from Olivia, and one truly moving scene later in the movie with Olivia after she is broken down. All good scenes, but for me the highlight is the next to last scene of the movie as Finn comes to young Cleo's grade school class to give a presentation on the history of trains. (laughs) It's a relatively short scene and actually not much happens. What makes it notable, though, is that we can now see how Finn has not only come out of his shell a bit to finally speak to strangers, but he's also willing to finally expand his interests just a bit, besides trains. I am here to speak about trains. The first rail train in this country was built by Peter Cooper in 1829. Does anyone know what it was called? It was called the Tom Thumb. Since that time, trains have helped make this country what it is today. A long time ago, most people never left their towns because travel was hard. Yes? How tall are you? Jacob. I'm, uh, I'm four feet and five inches tall. I'm taller than you. Jacob, come with me. I'm so sorry. Be back in a minute. Such a jerk. What about blimps? Um, I think blimps came later. When? I'm not sure exactly. Blimps are cool. Well, so are trains. Yeah, well, they're they're both cool. Trains and blimps. Which brings me to the final category, and that would be the MVP. This is the person or people who is most responsible for the success of this film. At the end of the day, this is the type of character-based story which rises and falls on the strength of its performances. Which is not to say that it's not well-directed nor written. I mean, McCarthy does a strong job with both. It's actually the station agent himself, the Dink, who delivers a fantastic, sublime performance to bring this film home. And it's not showy in the slightest, but you feel every emotion no matter how subtle. This actually comes through best in several well-played scenes throughout the movie whenever another character garners the courage to ask him if a personal question. There's one moment roughly halfway through when Olivia asks Finn if he's ever been in love. And his response is just pitch perfect, without hitting you over the head. Now, it's hard to do this justice describing it on a podcast, but watching how his face suddenly breaks from bemusement to sadness when explaining the type of person he is, it's just great, captivating stuff. Have you ever been in love, Finn? Yeah. What happened? Young and uh, really angry. About what? Um, being a dwarf. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, really funny how... Different people see me and treat me because I'm actually just a very simple, boring person. I love him as Finn. And next to his now iconic multiple Emmy Award winning role as Tyrion Lannister on Game of Thrones, this is probably my favorite performance of his. For delivering heart in the most naturalistic way possible to this gem of a movie, Peter Dinklage is the MVP. Hey, when were blimps invented? No idea. My rating for the station agent would be four and a half stars out of five. (laughs) 
It occurred to me doing this episode that despite covering a variety of categories, I'd say most of the films I've reviewed on this podcast have generally been louder genre movies, often featuring either brassy dialogue and or even louder gunplay. And considering that there's still so many past crime dramas remaining that I've yet to cover, well, that's not likely to change anytime soon. But I also love quieter movies like this, too. Sometimes it's just fun to spend 90 to 100 minutes hanging out with some interesting folks, regardless of plot, and that's certainly the case here. And as we are about to kick off our third season of this podcast, yep, third season, expect there to be more like this as well, rest assured. And if you're looking to watch The Station Agent, it is currently streaming on Paramount+, Plus, Hoopla, and Pluto TV. And that ends another solitary review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.